In verse 23, so the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. The Lord saved Israel that day, and God used Jonathan mightily to initiate this battle. Again, not Saul. Saul was underneath a tree. Every creature's Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today on our program, even though we know Saul was a leader of Israel, it took him a long time to actually start leading. Eventually, the noise of God and Jonathan fighting against the Philistines became so loud that Saul knew he had to join the fight. It was the bold trust that Jonathan had in the Lord that made it possible for God to use him in this battle. God left this account in his word for us to learn how important it is to trust him, especially when we sense he has called us to action. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. Be when you go out, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. And then in verse 9 of the same chapter, the Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you. If you keep the commandment of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. Isn't that exactly what's happening here today? In, the, in this passage, they're trembling, they're afraid, and God, again, is being faithful to the promise he made hundreds of years prior. And he's, he's obeying, he's, he's coming true on that promise for Jonathan and his armor bearer. They were men of faith, they believed God, right? God's promises of old were in effect. And then notice, all the earthquakes, so that it was a very great trembling. So we're talking about an earthquake here. And other times in the Bible, there was an earthquake, coincidentally, at the time when great faith was exercised. Look at those places where you find there was a great earthquake. You remember in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, after raising a lame man who was uh, bedridden, and they go into the temple after, after the day of Pentecost, They say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto you. Rise and take up your bed and walk. He did. It created such a stir that the Pharisees and the the, the religious leaders, they call Peter and John before them. And they threaten him. And they tell him not to speak in Jesus' name. 
And being let go, they went to their own companions, and they reported to all the chief priests and the elders what they said to them. And so when they heard that, notice this group of prayer warriors that were around Peter and John. They raised their voice to God with one accord, and they're praying, and they're thanking, they're thanking God. And we won't have to go through the prayer here, but they, they really give glory to God. And what does it say at the end of verse 31 in Acts 4? And when they had prayed, notice the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. It seems to me that when God encounters faith like that, sometimes he responds in the natural with a quaking, an earthquake. And for some reason, the Middle East, especially Israel, it lies on a fault line. I don't know if you knew this, but right in the center, and right where the Jordan River, that's a fault line. <laughs> Two tectonic plates join in the center of that river. That's the fault line, is the Jordan River. And there's all kinds, uh, over the years, many, many um, earthquakes. That's why whenever we're there, when we go down to the rabbi's tunnel underneath the western wall, underneath the Temple Mount, all the time I'm down there, I'm thinking, not today, Lord. Because when you look, when you're several, several feet below ground, all you got is limestone all around you. You're just, I'm really liking this, but I'm looking at the end of the tunnel, you know. Says so now verse 16 back in our text is now the watchman of Saul and Gabeah of Benjamin. So Saul is watching this whole thing from Gabeah. He's looking down upon the battle from a distance. Says so now the watchman of Saul and Gabeah of Benjamin looked, and there was the multitude melting away, meaning the multitude of the Philistines, and they went here and there. And then Saul said to the people who were with him, Now call the call the roll and see who has gone out from us. And when they had called the roll, they went by name of who's here? Joe, are you here? Here. Joshua, are you here? Here. Jonathan? Jonathan? Jonathan's armor bearer? Crickets. Hmm. So they called Roe, and when they had called the Roe, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, the priest, Bring the ark of God here, for at that time the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing here. Um, not really sure if this is really the ark, because at this time, the ark was actually in Kirjath Jearim, and it was in the house of Abinadad, and it was about 10 miles west of Gabeah, where they were at. That's where the ark was. I doubt that they really went and got it, uh, because we're going to see that they reached their hand inside of, of, of the ark, but it really wasn't the ark. They believe, in, in fact, the, um, the Septuagint, anybody know what the Septuagint is? It's just uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew. So there was a time when the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, was translated from Hebrew into Greek. And when they did that, they translated this ephod instead of ark. And that makes more sense. It could be. It makes sense, as, we, as we'll see. Because no one was to put their hand inside the ark, and I doubt they're going to travel 10 miles to bring the ark back. And you'll see in just a minute. But I find it interesting that Jonathan, unlike his father Saul, Jonathan didn't need some kind of ephod. He didn't need Urim and Thummim. He didn't need to touch anything holy. He didn't need to do anything. He just needed to obey. But yet Saul was kind of different in that way. Saul needed to have an aid, something to connect him with what God had said. And that really doesn't require a lot of faith. And again, there's nothing wrong with having a sacrifice before you go into battle. There's nothing wrong with inquiring to God, shall I go down to the Philistines? Like David, David did that. There's nothing wrong with that. But Jonathan was, he's like, you know what? I've heard enough. God told us back in Deuteronomy, 
I can trust him. If I do this, and I believe my relationships are right with you, God, and I'm going to step out and, and, and vanquish these enemies because they've defied you. Isn't that what David said to the Philistines? You've defied the armies of the living God. It had nothing to do with Jonathan. It says, verse 19 in our text, it says, Now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. And imagine that in your head. He's seeing in a distance, he's seeing the Philistines starting to scatter, and then the noise is starting to pick up, and he's getting kind of nervous, wondering what's going on. Notice what it says here, that while it happened, now it happened that while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, and here's our clue, that this was not the ark, but rather an ephod, withdraw your hand. Because the priest had his hand inside the ephod and he was about to pull out a stone or something. However they did it. He said, withdraw your hand. Their hand wasn't in the ark, I can tell you that. God would have smote them dead if they would have put their hand inside the ark. Even the Levite wasn't supposed to put his hand inside the ark. So, but notice Saul's impatience. He didn't even get an answer from God. He says, withdraw your hand. In other words, forget about God. Let's go do this. Forget about what what he's going to say. Things are getting heightened. They're getting excited. We've we got to do something now. Forget what the will of God is. we just got to go you know, do this. Impatience. Remember that God is never in a hurry. We often think that God's in a hurry. He's never in a hurry. We're in a hurry because we're confined by time. But God, believe me, if God really wants to do something in your life and you miss the first opportunity, if God really wants that and it's his will, it's going to come back again. Trust me. I know this. And if it's not his will, then it might not. And thank God for that. But before hearing from the Lord, he rushed into his own decision, not willing to wait on the, the, what God wanted. Be very careful. If you remember in, in the last chapter, in chapter 13 and verse 12, when he, while he was waiting for Samuel to show up, remember... He says, I felt compelled and I offered a burnt offering. Was a, was a Benjamite supposed to offer a burnt offering or was it supposed to be a Levite? Only the Levites were supposed to do that. But Saul in his impetuousness and his impatience decided to do it himself because he was in a hurry. And God is not concerned about that. God could have given them deliverance even if Samuel didn't show up and, they were had, and the Philistines came upon them. God would be able to do it. See, we've got to trust God and not so much things. We've got to trust him. He's the one who made all things. Wouldn't it be better to trust him than any external thing that I've got, to, some kind of external right that I've got to do in order to be right with God, you know? You know, going through all the, you know, the, 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 the beads and the Hail Marys and all the, you know, giving them of money because I, I sinned and it cost that much. I mean, they did that back in the Middle Ages. Certain sins in the Catholic Church had price tags attached to them. I've seen it. Oh, if you commit adultery, that's a big one. Well, if you tell a little white lie, you know, maybe five or ten bucks. But, you know, when you really commit the big sin, man, and when you're drunk or, you know, of course the priests have to pay then. But then, you know, you get my point. God cannot use a man who is governed by self-will. Self-will is a killer. It's something that I've got to learn, too. I've got to be governed by God, hopefully, and not myself, I don't, I don't want my own way. Whenever I get my own way, I haven't won anything. Most of the time I lose. 
And you know, God likes to give good things to his children. He really does. When you really desire something that's a good thing, there's no good thing that he's going to withhold from you if it's not going to destroy you. I shared this before. It's like when my daughter was real young, you know, she said, Daddy, would the, would the Lord give me a, you know, a 400-pound chocolate bar if I prayed for it? And I said, I, I doubt it, honey. Oh, why not? He's a good God. Yeah, he is good, but he knows what you would do with that chocolate bar. You would eat it until you got sick, and then I would come in and help you. And then I would get sick. And then your mother, because she likes chocolate too, she would, would the whole family would be sick. So I don't think God would do that, honey. So, but if it's good, you know, and it's not going to hurt you and not going to destroy you, then he might do that. In Proverbs 26 and 29, it says, Do you see, uh, actually in 26 and 29, it says, Do you see a wise man in his own eyes? Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And I have to ask a question. Are you stubborn and desire your own way? I know we've all been there. I don't desire to be stubborn, but I, I, at times I have been. And probably in the future I will be at some point because I'm not perfect. But hopefully I've learned a lot of lessons and I'm becoming less stubborn and less desiring my own way. Because I've truly learned, and maybe you have too, that God's way really is the best way. And it's peaceable, and there's no issues with it. When God wants to bless you with something, he knows then he can, you can handle it. You're not going to worship it. You know, why would God bless you with something that's going to cause you to stumble? He just, he's not that way. Some people he could give something really big if he so chose, because he knows their heart is not bent on it. But if you're lusting for something, and it's all that you want in life, and it could be a person, young people, especially single people, you have to be careful of that. I remember a young lady here many years ago, she, her best friend got married, and she was so jealous, and she wanted to get married so bad. She wanted to get married so bad. She got married, and it didn't last a year, because she wasn't seeking the Lord. On the altar of her heart was a man. She got the man that she looked for. She looked for, because he was a handsome guy. But he was horrible to her. So are you impatient? Are you not willing to wait? Remember, God is not concerned just about the end result. The, the process in between is just as important. In fact, oftentimes more important to get you to the place where you're going. He knows what he wants to do to get you here. And the ends don't justify the means. He's like, oh, this time from here where you're at now and the time that I get you over there, all that time is like precious gold to me, God says. And that you're going to learn something really wonderful about me. You're going to learn something wonderful about you. And you're going to be able to share that with somebody else who needs to hear it. You're going to be able to comfort others with the comfort that I've comforted you with. And boy, isn't that wonderful. That's when ministry really happens. That's really exciting when that happens. But are you impatient? We know in Galatians 5, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. That's patience. Pray for patience. And as you pray for patience, don't be surprised if you find yourself getting impatient. Otherwise, your patience wouldn't be tried, right? I'm learning this one. <laughs> I'm not there yet, but I'm learning patience. 
Verse 20, back in our text, Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled, and they went to the battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor. So now they're going after the Philistines, and there was a very great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, these are Hebrew defectors who defected to the Philistines. Once they saw that the Philistines were now on the run, they went up with the the, the, the Jews into the camp from the surrounding country. They also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. So this they got them on the run, so everybody coming out of the woodwork and chasing them. And likewise, verse 22, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim where they had uh, heard um, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. And verse 23, so the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. The Lord saved Israel that day and God used Jonathan mightily to initiate this battle. Again, not Saul. (laughs) Saul was underneath a tree probably on his cell phone, updating his Twitter page. Busy, you know. Putting a photo of him, you know, a selfie of him there by the tree and kind of taking pictures and, you know, applying a few filters and uploading it. And the son is out doing the job that he's supposed to be doing. And then in verse 24, here's where we find Saul starting to become unhinged. Actually, I think he became unhinged in chapter 13 when he offered that sacrifice, waiting for Samuel, when he shouldn't have offered the sacrifice. He should have waited. Yes, God brought him to the 11th hour, and Saul was impatient. God, and I believe Samuel was, I believe Samuel probably would have went a couple days earlier, and the Lord probably spoke to Samuel and said, Samuel, no, don't go there yet. Just wait. Just wait. I've got to do something I've got to reveal something to Saul. And so he does. But notice this rash oath that Saul makes. Verse 24, it says, And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under an oath. So, you know, they, they're, they're going after the Philistines. They're, 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 you know, it's probably a very hot day. They're, they're beat. I mean, I mean, when I mean beat, they're, they're tired. They're completely wore out. And notice what Saul says. He puts the people under an oath and he says, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I take vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. And so we see now, and again, this is not something that's directed by God, is it? Did God say that they should do this? No, this is something that he initiated. He initiates this oath. And it it was a poorly, it was very poor to do this. You don't tell men who are out in the battlefield, Oh, by the way, you're not going to eat anything today. You need energy. You need protein. <laughs> You're going to be running and, and, and tossing around uh, uh, spears and swords. And here we start to see Saul unraveling. Jesus said in Matthew 12, uh, verse 34, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And here we see Saul trying to muster up something spiritual and appear devoted to God by making some kind of oath like, let's, hey, let's all fast now. No, this is not a good time to fast. God didn't say it. It'd be different if God, you know, spoke to the priest and spoke, to, you know, if he did it some other way. But Saul's just pulling this out of thin air. He's like, he's pulling a rabbit out of a hat. Let's fast until we vanquish our enemies. That sounds like a really bad idea. A really bad idea. It's been said that the spiritual conditions of our hearts are revealed not only by the actions we perform, but also by the words we speak. By the words we speak. In Ecclesiastes 5, verse 2, 
It encourages, do not be rash with your mouth like Saul. <laughs> like Saul is not in there, but do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Boy, that's a good um, admonishment for all of us. Instead of me coming and just throwing up on God all the things that I want, sometimes it's good to just get before him and just be quiet and be silent. You speak to me, Lord. Again, there's nothing wrong. We, we pray, and that's good. But you know what I mean. Sometimes we have time, and all we do is talk, 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 and we don't stop and listen, and just let him work in us. He does things in wonderful ways, sometimes a little easier than what we might think. All we need to do is rest in his presence. But Saul now, he not only makes this rash oath, but we'll see him in the latter part of this chapter being willing to even put his own son to death after another rash oath that he makes. And then we're going to see him in chapter 15 next week, not obeying the Lord's clear direction. And that's at the point where God's like, I'm done with you. I can't, I can't steer you, Saul. You're, you're, you're a disobedient man. Someone better than you is going to take your place. Saul didn't know it, but it was going to be David. A young man out in the field, the youngest of seven, out in the field, Jesse's son, tending to the sheep. Nobody cared about him. God says, that's a man after my own heart. I like that. But this fast wasn't directed by God. It was foolish. Be careful in making oath. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 33, Again, you've heard it said that to those of old... You shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair black or white, but let your yes be yes or no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Don't make oaths. You don't need to make an oath. Jephthah, remember? Usually we make oaths when we're desperate. You know, when you're in a real pinch and you're like, God, I will do anything if you get me out of this problem. I'll do anything. I'll, I'll, I'll do this. In fact, God, I'm going to do this. If you get me out of this trouble, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to you know, paint the church at Calvary Chapel of Rochester on the outside. With my own money, Lord. <laughs> and then the Lord delivers you and you're like, ah, oh, it's getting kind of late. And off you go. Jephthah made an oath, an oath. Lord, if you give me the Ammonites, the first thing that comes out of my house, I'll offer as a burnt sacrifice. He's probably hoping for his Labrador retriever. <laughs> Don't think they had those back then. But can you imagine seeing, you know, uh, Benji come running out of the door, you know? Or Lassie running out to meet him. Wouldn't be so bad to offer that as a burnt sacrifice, but it's his only daughter comes out of the door. Back in our text in verse 25, it says, All the people of the land came to a forest. So here they are in this battle as they're chasing the Philistines. They come to a forest. There was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods, there was, uh, there was the honey dripping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. Therefore, he stretched out the end of his rod with his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb, and he put, it, put his hand to his mouth, and his countenance brightened. And then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats food this day. 
and the people were faint. Well, that sounds like a really great idea. What a great oath. You know, such a perfect timing. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.